Welcome everybody to my podcast, Big Little Small Talk. I'm Megan O'Hara-Sullivan and I love to talk, but I also love to listen. If you're new here, welcome. Thanks for joining me today. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hello everybody. My guest today on Big Little Small Talk is Lindsay Booth, or Boothie, aka, from Toowoomba Sightseeing. Now, Toowoomba Sightseeing is that little maroon bus that painted to look like a tram that you might see around town. Lindsay set this business up and it's gone from strength to strength. So welcome, Lindsay, to Big Little Small Talk. Thank you very much. So we'll just start with the accolades. I see that you won an award in 2019 for excellence award from TripAdvisor. How was that? Ah, oh, that's because um, prior to the COVID, I was getting lots of international people and uh, they follow the TripAdvisor fairly strongly and a lot of them, you know, give reviews of activities that they've been on. Yeah, and that was really good for me. Really exciting, yeah. yeah. So how long's Toowoomba Sightseeing been going? Oh, this will be coming up six years now. Uh-huh. And what was the motivation to set it up? Oh, I think I'd done a little bit of travelling myself and I just kind of felt like Toowoomba needs, it's a big place Toowoomba, you know, like the second biggest inland city in Australia and we didn't have a proper sightseeing bus. So, you know, it's not a great big money spinner or anything, but I think it's a service that I feel responsible now and um, I'm, I'm just glad that I can do it. Is it something that goes regardless of whether people are on or not or do you go only if you've got bookings? Oh, I'll run for one person. I've done a one-person trip on plenty of occasions and I can take a maximum of 23. Mm-hmm. Uh, today I did nine people, I think. So. And were they all in a group or were they just separate people who had booked? All separate people, yeah. They were from Victoria, there were some from Air in the North Queensland. They're all people that called in on the big city and all of a sudden they realised, wow, this is too big for us to drive around. Right, okay. So I see um, you also do uh, walking tours and you do a walking tour of the cemetery. Tell me about that. Oh yeah, I love doing the cemetery tours. They're not scary or anything. Um, I don't do the scary ones, but I, I just like to highlight some of our very early squatters some of our people of importance, uh, like some of our old mayors, um, and uh, some of the, the business people here too that might have been forgotten. I kind of bring them alive through their story. It's not my story, it's their story, and I, I bring them alive through that. I'll tell you a little funny thing that happened one day that made the hairs on a lady's neck stand up. She said to me, how do you remember all this stuff about these people? And I said, it's a trick, really. I said, do you know how I always have my hand on the tombstone? I said, they're actually telling the story through me. And (laughs) all the hairs went up on a neck. (laughs) What a great story. So you you mentioned there before, um, you you sometimes talk about all the old mayors. Tell me the story of our very first mayor, Mayor Groom. William Groom. Mm. It's an amazing story. You know, he was a convicted felon, sent out here as a convict and came to Toowoomba for a new start, became our mayor. He went on to be in the Queensland Parliament. He went on to be the first convict to ever be elected to the federal parliament in 1901. 
just an amazing thing for somebody to go from, you know, uh, an understated kind of young fellow in a lot of serious problems and to be to the top of society and did so much for our city. So what was he a convicted felon for? What was his... Oh, there was a few little things. Um, back before he was sent over here, I think it was just something simple, but over here he was accused of stealing gold. Yeah, he was probably lucky that he wasn't hung, but he did get three years hard labour working on the Blue Mountains Road Gang. Um, they used to encourage the convicts to work on that because they were cheap labour. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and then he came up here, of course, and started a little store and then had a little pub and uh, then he, he got into politics. He was uh, a great uh, writer, like he wrote huge big sections. He, he was a, a good mayor and I think pretty fair. Sometimes uh, the, he kind of fell out a little bit with the big squatters, the very wealthy graziers, but he, he did look after the common people. Mm. When you said about the squatters out at the cemetery, for some reason, I was thinking it was squatters, like squatters living in London flats, but you're talking about the squatocracy, aren't you? Yes, yeah. yeah so the, what are some of the stories about the squatters out there? Well, Arthur Hodgson is one I love to talk about because uh, we do know so much about him. He was English and he'd selected Eatonvale on the southern side of the city, huge big property. There's only really the steps and the chimney of his big house left now. Um, at least the other big squatters like uh, Johnny Campbell who selected Westbrook Station and, and the Humes and the Isaacs who selected Gary Station, those big homesteads are still there so we've got some tangible evidence I guess. But um, yeah, it, Eaton Vale, it's an interesting story. They say that he, um, he was travelling up here with, uh, with a convict uh, helper and they came across an Aboriginal camp and he was thought, well, he'll go in and have a bit of a look. Everybody just took off as he got there. He said there was fresh fish laying on rocks ready to be cooked. And he looked in a little woman's dilly bag and he found a broken pocket knife. And to his surprise, it had in there made in Eton. That's where he went to school and it must have hit a chord with him. So he called his property Eaton Vale and what he did, they say, is he exchanged the broken pocket knife for a good one and put it back in her dilly bag. And remember, that was 1840, so somewhere people had either been trading, the Aboriginal people had either been trading those things or she found it from some escaped convicts or something like that who'd travelled up through here. Talk about make the hair stand up on the back of your, <laughs> your neck. That's a fairly... Um, interesting yeah. story, isn't it? Yeah. And what about out at the cemetery? Is there the Catholic section and the Protestant section? Oh yes, it was a very sectionalised uh, kind of a cemetery in the early days. Uh, every denomination had their own little piece to look after. Uh, unfortunately, I think it fell into a bit of disrepair in the 1960s and 1970s. And our city's taken it over now, so it's a beautiful place of respect. And uh, that's why I don't kind of do kind of scary things out there. I, I treat all the people who are out there, there's over 60,000 people, I treat them all respectfully and try to tell their story. Uh, not all of them, of course. I haven't got that good a memory. But, uh, <laughs> do you have many people coming on that tour because they're trying to find some relatives? Uh, sometimes, and some are just interested. 
and some kind of want to hear what you might say about their old great, 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 you know. I had um, Mrs Cameron's oh, probably sixth or seventh granddaughter come one day and she was quite surprised to know that, you know, Mrs Cameron had such a big monument. Now, it's, remind me who Mrs Cameron is again. Um, she was a school teacher herself down in Victoria while her husband came up and they went all up in that Longreach area and selected big properties up there, the Camerons and the Crombies, they're still up in that country. Huge big family. I think she passed away just shy of her 100th birthday and of course she lived up at Fairhome, the, the big homestead up there. They say that she gave half the money to the Presbyterian Church to buy it back off her as long as it became a school. So that was always her passion, to have a girls' school. And uh, yeah, and a fellow I don't know a lot about, his name was Mr Black from Ipswich, and apparently he paid the rest of the money for it to become a school. Mm. Yeah, the big fair home homestead. Right, interesting. And I know that um, you say that your tours aren't just for tourists. You get a lot of locals coming on yes, your tours as well? Yes, yes, I do. And that's, I love that. I just love it when you have somebody who says, oh, I've lived here for 80 odd years. You won't be able to tell me anything about the place, but I'm bringing old auntie so-and-so and my cousin from Melbourne up and they get off saying, wow, I didn't know that. And I've lived here all my life. That's really good, you know. And you're learning stuff from people I, ma I would imagine? Oh, I just, the historians probably get annoyed with me because I'm picking their brains all the time and sending them emails and say, could you check up on this? I'm at a bit of a dead end with this. And they, that's a great story. And back they come to me. Peter Cullen, he just loves giving me stuff and Morris French. And uh, I'm always picking their brains. Mm. I know you don't, um, when you're on your tours, you don't like to talk ill of anyone, but you did tell me an interesting story about Morris French just before we, we started the interview. Do you want to tell me that one again? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we had a little discussion one day um, because um, one of our, he was a mayor here only for one year, but he was also one of our big graziers, a very, very important man in the city. Um, yeah, and he got into a little bit of hot water once and got kicked out of Parliament and I said I just said to him do you think I should talk about those kind of things I don't feel comfortable you know because we've got lots of visitors to the city and I guess we don't want to talk about one of our major major guys getting into trouble he said yeah that's on the public record you should talk about it but I still don't I still can't bring myself to talk about well, it. Well maybe not on tours but honestly what what goes in this interview stays on tour what goes on tour stays on <laughs> tour <laughs> boothy but so why did he get into major trouble? What sort of thing was he doing? Oh, they say that, um, I, can I say his name? Uh, I don't know. He's, it was James Taylor, uh, who did a lot for our city, but uh, he was one of our mayors in the 1890s, I think it was, not, not so many years before he passed away, but um, he was the head of the lands department here as well, and he had a, had a role to split up a lot of the big properties. And they say that uh, he forgot a fair few thousand acres around his own homestead. Mm, forgot. Uh, yeah, forgot. And, uh, Convenient. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, he was uh, thrown out of Parliament for a little while, our Queensland Parliament for it, 
So a bit of a slap on the wrist, but then later on he was forgiven and got back in. I got back in. Yeah. <laughs> the mea culpa, a bit yeah. like Peter Beattie, you think. He was oh. pretty good at it. I'm sorry about that. I just forgot those 9,000 acres yeah, yeah. around my homestead. Oh, yeah, yeah. So you do all sorts of tours. You do the, the east side and the west side alternatively, don't you, on alternate days? Yes. What, what's involved in an east side tour? What do we see? Uh, east side, I like to take in the natural beauty, all the escarpment edge. I show off all our huge, big, multi-million dollar homes that are built along the escarpment edge. People love to see them. Um, and I, I kind of highlight our parks and gardens. We, I think we have over 8,000 hectares of parks and gardens around the city. So it's, um, I tell people that we're the garden city. So that eastern side of the city really represents all that. Mm. Um, and then I always go down to Drayton on both tours because that's where the Toowoomba story started, um, you know, with um, William Groom, I guess, but Billy Hancock, um, you know, lots of those guys. So give me a little bit of that history. Well, um, Billy Hancock was an interesting fellow. He was a wild Irishman. That's how I like to speak about him. Uh, he wanted the rights for commoners to be able to buy freehold property. He got elected to the New South Wales Parliament when we were New South Wales before 1859, but uh, the big graziers didn't like him at all. And um, so he, I guess, was talked about badly. We think politics are bad now, but they used to say some terrible things about him. They used to call him Billy the Bull. They said he was running around town playing up with all the heifers. It was just, you know, they said the horrible things about him. Um, a really lovely thing happened one day on one of my tours. I had a lady hop off. She never said who she was when she got on and she had tears in her eyes. And she said, you know, I've just been to a big Hancock reunion in Sydney. So I thought I'd come up here. He was, you know, our great, 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 great. And she said, everyone at the reunion said how he was hated by people. And I said, no, that wasn't true. He was. He was disliked by the big graziers because he wanted to split up their big properties that they'd got. But I said, the common people loved him. He was, he was elected to the New South Wales Parliament, mm -hmm. an amazing thing. And the poor fellow, you know, he, um, he ended up um, bankrupt and died as a pauper and he's buried unmarked grave in a, uh, on a little island in Moreton Bay. You know, it's a, it's a sad story for a man who was, a you know, we adopted him as a Toowoomba-ite and he ended up in New South Wales Parliament, which is a, a big thing. And uh, so it's an amazing story. I like to tell those little stories. Exactly. That's the people stories that people are so interested in. I guess no nothing new under the sun is there. You know, you say that politics was bad, is bad now, but it was bad then. Does part of your tour take in the Bull's Head Inn? Yes, yep. I always like to go past the Bull's Head Inn, uh, built by uh, William Horton funny kind of uh, thing when you read about uh, in those days a lot of single must have been quite wealthy men mainly used to travel to the colonies and they would do reminiscence about their trips and they would refer to him as Billy Orton because he always said his name like that apparently so he misdropped the H but he was an extremely good bushman he was personally asked by Ludwig Leichhardt to go with him and they thought Ludwig Leichhardt was probably a bit off the planet. He walked around the downs with a big top, top hat and thought that he could just 
front up to the Aboriginal people and they'd shake hands with him like they did at the coastal cities. And uh, lucky they didn't go with him because, you know, he's never been found. But yeah, um, Billy Horton, um, he was a, a, convict, a convict as well. Um, but he built the old pub out there in 47. And, um, so it that was, was the original site of Toowoomba, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. The, the original Toowoomba. We had nine pubs out there. And um, now we really only have one functioning pub, the old Downs pub that was started by the Alford family in 1844. And uh, the old Cheyenne's been made into a steakhouse and the Bull's Head's been taken over by the National Trust. But yes, yeah, yeah. What about Drayton Harbour? What do you know about that? Ah, oh, Drayton Harbour. That's a, that's a really good contentious one. Um, a, a lot of people believe that Drayton Harbour's when you get up up the top of the hill at St Matthews and the big depression where the old township is uh, gets full of fog. But other historians tell me that it was actually the Drayton Harbour was referred to as the old weir that they tried to build out there so they'd have city water because they're in black soil out there and nothing holds water too much. So often the big weir would be dry and the old bullockies nicknamed it the Drayton Harbour. My husband, who grew up in Toowoomba, talks about going swimming out there. So that would have been, I guess, in the late 70s. Would that have been right? Mm, Maybe no. he's got his directions wrong, but he thought that that's where they went swimming. In the yeah, but well, there's a big hole still in the creek out there. Mm. Yeah, there is big holes yeah. down there. Okay. So that's the east side. What do we do on a west side tour? Ah, uh, west side tour, uh, I head north first. Always do the CBD of the city. But I, uh, and I show a lot, off a lot of the old buildings here and talk about some of our people who were in the city uh, area, the CBD. Then I head up uh, past Downlands College. We have a look at Harlexton House. I talk about the Gregory family. Lots of people don't know about the Gregories, but Augustus Gregory and his brother Joe, they were just magnificent explorers and all the brothers pretty well were surveyors they were brought into Western Australia really early in 1829 by their parents and they did masses of exploration work in Western Australia and they went right from the top of Western Australia right across to Queensland. We, you know, you have little things like the town of Gregory, the Gregory River and the Gregory Downs. But we had, uh, well his name was Francis but we called him Frank. We had Frank Gregory here who was a great surveyor, explorer and uh, he owned the big Harlexton house. And built the Harlexton house? Yeah, right. yeah. Okay. He, he and Marion lived up there. Okay, and you said that um, the brothers, how many brothers were there? Oh, I can't remember now. I'm, I'm pretty, one, the eldest one died quite young, but there definitely was uh, at least four, but I'm pretty sure there's more. Interesting. Mm. And Harlexton House is overlooking the quarry. What's the state of it at the moment? Oh, somebody's done a whole heap of graffiti in the last fortnight oh. um, on the front. Uh, the, I believe the fellow who owns it is the fellow that owns the quarry, but I, I could be corrected there. But uh, he generally looks after it pretty well. Like it's not lived in, but it's, you know, you can see that it's had new stumping and it's got new gutters and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, but nobody's lived in it for decades and decades. Mm, but it's a beautiful house. It's a shame to see it sitting there, not really doing too much. So after after Hullexton House, what else is in the? Oh, we go north then to uh, what Toowoombaites call Mount Kynock, 
which really should be pronounced Kinnick, because it's named after John Kinnick, who was mayor of the Highfield Shire. Uh, yeah, we go up there and uh, we, we talk about the Gary Station because they owned all that country up that side of the city. Um, Gary I, Station is? The, uh, the big Gary homestead is still out there just near Kingsthorpe. Hmm. You don't go, do you go as far as that? Or no, no, that I don't way. go out yeah, there. It's yeah. privately owned. Mm -hmm. I have been in that big house, mm. beautiful big house. Um, but yeah, in, in later years, of course, it was owned by the King family. And I talk a little about that, George King. I, I visit him on my cemetery tours. Um, he was born in Russia, I think it was. But uh, his son... Kinovsky or something. No, I think, he, I think his parents size, were English. Yeah. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah, um, but that's where we get King's Thorpe from. So the Kings owned the Big Gary Station. Um, Colonel Henry Venn King, I talk about him as we come back around the Newtown Park. He was, he's one of the boys of the King family, a bit like a career type military man, but reinstated World War I to get all the um, horses for the light horse together. And they were all trained at the Newtown Park. Um, it's a little passion of mine that I'd love the Defence Force to bring the big shed from, it used to be our military museum, back to the Newtown Park where it came from. And because uh, it has a lot of history there. He was, Colonel Henry Van King was the oldest man to go to war at 74 year old. Incredible. Yeah, 74 year old. And did he survive? Yeah, and he went with his two sons. Right. You talked about um, Newtown Park there. Isn't that why there's the cross? It's built in the yeah. model of the St Andrews or something. I've probably got all of that wrong. But uh, All the trees uh, form the Union Jack. All the, all the tree pattern. And it's... Um, once you tell people, they say, oh, yeah, yeah. And as we always go for a walk through the Queensland State Rose Garden. I, even today, I went over there and the flowers are still out on the roses. So it is a, one of our signature parks for sure. It is absolutely beautiful. Over 2,200 roses. Mm, yeah, magnificent. And is that the entirety of the West Side tour? Well, no, 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 we, no. No, we come up. Stay on. Stay with me. Yes, we. <laughs> uh, after there, we visit um, or go past the big Wheatwood homestead. I uh, talk about uh, the big Ascot homestead and the big Tor homestead as we go up there. What are a couple of stories about them? Oh well, they um, Tor and Ascot were built by Frederick Holbert, and he was a very rich, or I guess, uh, well-to-do. Um, shop owner here in the city and uh, Wheatwood was built by Schofield and uh, Schofield had a lot to do with um, our race course and our race club of course because it's just out the back there and so that's where we get the Wheatwood Cup um, which Queensland Racing has decided that they would like it now to be a part of their spring carnival so now it's on during September which is good really because now we're doing the Carnival of Flowers for the whole month. Um, it's, it's a good addition to our Carnival of Flowers. One of the weekends is taken up with that. With the races. All right, so we're finished on the West Side Tour then? No, no. <laughs> we never finish. <laughs> then we head down Hursley Road um, and I like to show people 
where uh, the major sporting fields are. That um, I like to talk about some of the clubs out there, like the big Glenvale Club, where they can go for meals and things. Uh, I guess one of the things of my tour is I like to show people where everything is and then if it strikes a chord with them, they can come back and visit it later. Like when I go past the Cobb and Co Museum or the Drayton Down Steam, I go out past the showground. I speak how we had the first royal show in Queensland 15 years before Brisbane ever got the rights to have a royal show. Um, and uh, sometimes I pick people up there and drop them off, some of the caravanners. Uh, we go out into the Wellcamp Valley and I talk about uh, things like that. People can see where Clyde Berghofer went to school. Which uh, is at? At Wellcamp. I did not know that. Um, he left when he was 13. Mm, that I knew. <laughs> An amazing man, you know, had done so much for our city and, uh, and still giving. I think he might be 87 this year, mm -hmm. I think it is. Yes, and a mayor in of him in and of himself, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. 10 yeah. years I think he mm -hmm. did as mayor here. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, an amazing man. And, and he said to me himself um, that he just thought he was dumb and stupid because he could never grasp reading and writing. Um, but then in adult life he was diagnosed as dyslexic. I never really asked him about that, if that makes him feel better or worse, but he said he left school when he was 13 and he went off and worked with his uncle on a dairy farm. Oh, yes, yeah. an incredible story of um, dedication and um, determination and drive, isn't it? Mm, and hard work. And hard work, exactly. Yeah. I actually show the first house that he built in Toowoomba on my tour, on my West Side tour, and he lived in there with his three daughters and they used it as a display home. Right. He told me he could build one of those houses. He would guarantee to people if they signed up for a house and land package, he'd have it built in 14 days. And those homes are still there. <laughs> Just think now, it would take three or four months to get approval. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about the contrast of your east side tour and going and looking at some of those homes up there and then going and having a look at the one that you just mentioned there, the stark contrast. A little, a little cottage, yeah. Mm. Probably today, probably worth 300,000 or something. Mm, the yeah. property market's gone crazy, hasn't it? Tell me about um, the pub tours. Ah, pub tours. Everyone loves my pub tours. <laughs> I do try to go out to town, mainly just to support the country pubs. Uh, you just see the smile on the publican's face when I pull up with 23 people all keen to drink. Um, I love going out like Gumbungi, uh, Quinlow. Um, I, I go right across into Crow's Nest. Sometimes I call in a Culp Eye. Uh, it's good to support all those little pubs. When, that's when I do the north, up the north end. When I go south, I go to the um, Cambuya and into Nobby. Uh, down to going Clifton. to the Green Mount Pub, I would. Yes, the Green home. Mount that's Pub. Right, yeah. Yes. Uh, what is, what's that called now? Uh, get chopped. Get chopped. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Brendan and, and Fiona doing a fantastic job. I'd urge anyone to go out and have a drive out there and have a meal and see what's yeah, going on at. Yeah, it's yeah. Big transform. It's a great little pub. I did a 60th birthday party to there not so long ago, and then I go down to Clifton to the Irish Pub. Everyone yep. loves Fletch. all the memorabilia. Fletcher's doing a great job down there. In Not the saying world. I know a lot about pubs. Yeah, I'm, I'm just sorry, thinking. <laughs> you know more about the pubs than I do. <laughs> no, I don't. 
<laughs> but I do love a country pub, I must admit. So do people go on the pub tour as a group mostly? Yeah, or do they yeah. sign up individually to go on that? No, I, I, so far I've only ever um, taken group bookings for my weekend stuff. I keep the weekends free for group bookings and I do all kinds of things like winery, craft, uh, coming tell up. A, tell me about a craft tour. Oh, craft. Um, I had a group of ladies, uh, their husbands were coming up here to play golf. So they said, oh, we're a bit crafty. We don't really want to do pubby things. I said, I've got just the thing. So we went to Bob Holland Wines. Um, Where's Bob Holland Wines? Uh, just on the other side of Crow's Nest. Uh, first off, we called it uh, The Colours of San Chris, which is a great little South American flavoured cafe uh, in the old railway station uh, at Kabbalah. An amazing thing, like even for that, uh, I think I only had 10 ladies on or something. It was cold, wet, wintry day and they all bought a scarf and I thought, even that, you know, it's a help to the little you good. know, struggling businesses. Good for the economy, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah then we, um, we go to the big craft store in Crow's Nest. That's my favourite. It's uh, all the artisans from up that way display all their products and they take turns in manning the reception there. Uh, and everyone loves that. We often call in at the Crow's Nest Cordials. We'll have a meal at the old Grand Crow Pub or we'll go around to the Curly Carrot and have a meal there. Well, Crow's Nest has um, gone into another stratosphere in terms of tourism at the moment with the development of the old Salts building. Have you been up there since? No, I haven't been yeah. there yet since mm. um, Mertie. Is mm. there, mm. But I think that lady will do a wonderful job. Yeah, Amanda is in, Amanda Hines is just an incredible operator, I think. It's, and um, everybody loves that, that little vibe that Crow's Nest has because it's built around that village green and they've still got all their old facades from the late 1800s, early 19s. And people can't go everywhere and see that anymore, like timber facades. And uh, people just love it. I always recommend to the tourists to make the 40 minute drive out of Toowoomba and go up and visit. Mm, well, that park there too is truly a, a, yeah. a, a credit. It's just a beautiful park, a central uh, park there, isn't it? Okay, so what about Progressive dinner tours. Oh yes, go? progressive dinner. Uh, I've got one coming up in a couple of weeks, but they'll be here in the CBD. Uh, we always start somewhere for an entree, uh, and then we go. I, I'll just kind of people might have their own thoughts. That's fine. Then we'll pick up again, so they can, they can have a drink, and I drive them around. I can pick them up from separate homes and drop them back at the end of the night. Uh, we'll go somewhere for a main meal. And it's not rushed, everyone can sit around, oh, I'm not really that worried. And then we always try and have coffee and cake somewhere. It is sometimes a little bit difficult late at night to find a coffee and cake place, but I've stumbled across um, our big sports club, our Toowoomba Sports Club, and they do coffee and cake till 11 p.m. So that suits me fine. I'm ready to go to bed after that. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we often do that. Even when I do my Christmas light tours, I go back there for the coffee and cake. Right. So people love a coffee at the end of the night. Exactly. And the historical tours, is that a different thing to the... Yes, the historical tours, um, I really delve into the nitty gritty. And I must admit, when I get off, my head is just throbbing from trying to 
bring all that back. And some of the people who come on my history tours know more about the city than I do. So I learn just as much as we go around. Um, but Tell us about some of the buildings, like say the courthouse. What's a little bit of the history about the courthouse? Mm, built right back in 1878. Cost 7,000 pounds to build an amazing building. Um, I read a little thing once about the first Supreme Court judge uh, complained a little bit that it wasn't quite finished inside and was a bit beneath him. But anyway, Toowoomba people said it was a waste of money. We shouldn't have spent that much, 7,000 pounds. But I think it would be our most photographed building now. And now, of course, it's a private home and those people keep it immaculate, keep the gardens immaculate. They, they built that big fence around the front which just ties it all in. And um, a real bonus sometimes when I go past, they might have their back gate open and I say to people, this is a huge bonus because usually you, you can't see in, but I pull up really slow and you can see how they made all the old car park into beautiful gardens in the back as well. And then of course, right next door, we've got the big sandstone post office. I think it was £7,900 to build it, privately owned too now by a group of lawyers, but they keep a good handle on it and keep looking after it. Um, what about City Hall? What's some of the history of City Hall? City Hall, the one um, built, the new one, I call it the new one, built in 1901 where all the council meetings are held. Um, but I do drive past the empty paddock where our first two town halls were. Uh, and talk a little bit about those. Um, a lot of that's been lost in history of, as well, but uh, yeah, City Hall is a beautiful building, inside and out. I encourage people to come down and, um, and have a look inside, and I always say to them, if you're lucky, they might show you in the groom room. <laughs> so, <laughs> There's anyone around, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, we've got all the old photos up the hallway of all the old drape knights, the old grey beards, so with William Peake, there. Just amazing man, William Peake. He, um, Tell us the story of William Peake. Well, not many of us know about his real early history, but when he turned up here at Drayton, he was working for the New South Wales Police Force. Because um, we were New South Wales back then. I understand that he was the first uh, mayor or chairman, they used to call them back in those days. Um, and went on to spend over 50 years giving public service to the city uh, because Drayton had eyes on being, you know, the main town up here. It's just that probably, poor old Drayton, about 70% of the first residents were all ticket of leave, men and women, and the big squatters looked down their nose a little bit at the poor old greybeards, they used to call them. Um, so. The swamp, as Toowoomba was called, eventually took over as the major town, and it had the drinking water. So that. And what um, what's your understanding of the origin of the word Toowoomba? Oh, uh, I tell people, uh, if you go to a party in Toowoomba, just leave it alone. It's worse than politics. Or religion. <laughs> or religion. <laughs> just leave it alone, because I know of about ten different versions of what Toowoomba means. And a lot of people say, oh, Mrs. Alford called her house Toowoomba. And, uh, but I've had Alford family on my bus who say, no, that's not true. Um, we know that half our family say that, but the other half say it, she did not. 
So it's, but we do know that Reverend Glennie did the first christening over here for the Alfords and uh, he did say that he did the christening in Toowoomba but we don't know if he meant the area or if he meant her home. One of the last uh, ones I've heard is that there was two partners. They used to come here and um, cut the bulrushes. So they bulrushes in Woomba. If you have multiple bulrushes, there's Woomba Woomba. And because they were partners in this business that used to cut the bulrushes and pack them in crates and sell them, they called their business to Woomba. I have not heard that version before. Nor had I. <laughs> I but uh, yeah, that was the—that's probably the latest one that I've heard. Okay, you said you've mentioned a couple of times about the um, indigenous people of the area. Is there uh, much of that in in your tour? Oh yes, I talk a little bit about it, especially uh, when we get up on the east side tour and overlook Tabletop Mountain, and I talk how. Uh, the locals always call that Miwa, which kind of means looking out. Uh, I talk about Maltagra, the spiritual leader, and his old dad, who was King Moppy, who was also Maltagra, uh, and how um, they named the new viaduct Maltagra in our bypass. And I often think, I don't know if he'd really appreciate that because he was trying to stop people getting over the range, not make it easier. So tell us a little bit about the Battle of Maltagra. Yes, well, they say it went on for seven years. Uh, he, they say that Maltugra was blood brothers with Johnny Campbell, who'd selected Westbrook Station. Johnny Campbell had spent a lot of time before he came to Australia in America, and he married an American girl called Temperance. And uh, he was uh, the second son of a Scottish laird, they said. So um, the Scots and the Aboriginal people, I find, had a connection through Australian history, even in my own parents. My grandmother was Scottish and my grandfather was Aboriginal. So I find that there's a, they kind of, whether they kind of felt like they were both against the English sometimes in the past. Um, a common but enemy. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what it was, but you find that a lot. Um, in, in Australian history that the uh, Indigenous people and the Scottish people kind of got along a, a little bit. Yeah, but anyway, they say Maltugra and um, Johnny Campbell were blood brothers. I, I don't know if that's true, but um, that's an Indian thing to do, which may have been like that. They say that Johnny Campbell always let the Guybal people run freely on Westbrook Station. They say sometimes that the other Aboriginal people called them the Campbells the ones that lived here. Um, they say that uh, Maltugra told Johnny Campbell that he was happy with the original settlers, but he didn't want any more to come. But no one took any notice to him. And he got all the different tribes together and they started attacking the wagons coming out of Ipswich, which was called Limestone back in those days. Um, it's the first time in the English military history, I believe, that they built a fort down at Helidon to protect themselves from Aboriginal attack. And they had companies of English soldiers down there. They brought back soldiers from the Maori Wars. Um, and the war went on for seven years. A lot of people lost their lives on both sides. Um, and uh, the English, I guess a lot of puffery on both sides too in those days. 
but the English said they got Maltugra with a sniper at a 300-yard shot down at Mount Tarampa, which is a pretty big stretch of a shot that you could do with a ball and powder. But yeah, and he was the glue that held the groups together, you know. And was um, Mareway or um, Tabletop, was it used as a, like a lookout? Yeah, they called it like a lookout. Mm -hmm. And like the old road passed up around there that was found by Lieutenant Gorman and came up on the southern side. So that's where the wagons come up. They're pretty attackable, mm -hmm. trying to drag themselves up that big mountain. Um, yeah, most of it was like guerrilla warfare, I would imagine. Um, it, some people suggest that uh, escaped convicts probably helped. I, I know they say an escaped convict called John Baker actually helped Lieutenant Gorman find the road, the first road up the mountain to the Darling Downs. Mm -hmm. That's an interesting story that people like too. Alan Cunningham named it up here after Sir Ralph Darling, who was our governor at the time. Um, yeah, the Darling Downs. The Darling Downs. I love living on the Darling Downs. It's, it's just the, the best name of anywhere to live, I think. You know? Yeah, <laughs> it's um, interesting, you know, like um, the things that you hear. They, they said that when they came up, the oat grass, they called it, when they sat on their horses, was up over the top of their saddles. They were riding through that. Most of it treeless plain. Lots of people believe that that was probably caused from years and years centuries of um, the Aboriginal people burning the Western Downs country and, you know, making it into grasslands. Uh, and it's interesting that uh, they believe that the Aboriginal people were so scared when they seen the first explorers on horses because they thought they were the one beast because they'd never seen horses and they thought that man and beast were the one and often too, um, the, the English, you know, they'd, they'd colonised lots of places around the world and, you know, they were attacked by the Maoris and the Tahitians and all that, but they found the Aboriginals just looked down. That's because most of the tribes believed that those people that were white were actually descendants. That's what they thought. Right. And they used to look down as they passed. Mm, interesting. It's well, Boofy, unfortunately, we are coming to the end of our interview today. I think um, you probably have a, another set of stories that we could go on for hours. And, and um, But I am going to have to sort of wrap it up soon. But before I do, can you tell me uh, something that made you smile today? Uh, when uh, just I'm a simple man and I had three people on the bus yesterday who returned again today and that just that makes my day when people are happy to pay the money to go both days. Did they do a different tour? Yes, yeah, yeah yesterday and uh, I had people the other day, the fella got off, you know, he was a tough country farmer and he got off and he said, I could do that tour again. Isn't that great? Affirmation of what you're doing. Yeah, yeah makes uh, you feel good. Yeah. I I um I love telling the Toowoomba story, and uh, I think it's a real responsibility that I do it right. Exactly. You're the face. Yeah, the, I'm, I'm the, kind of the first thing people get to see. It was like um, people getting into a cab in a country, and if the cab driver's rude, or you know, it is your first impression. Okay, here's one for you. What is the one thing you should never say at a wedding? You've probably done a few wedding 
Well, Bucks parties, I would imagine. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you probably should never talk about what happened on the Bucks party. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Perfect. All right. Well, I have I have know nothing about you. All I know is um, is some of the stories that you've told me. But have you ever been on a blind date? Mm, probably most of the girls have been short-sighted, <laughs> but that's about the close. Otherwise, they wouldn't have went out with oh. me. I'm no oil painting. You can't um, you can't remember ever being on a blind date. No, I don't think I would have ever been on a blind date. No. Complete, no. Completely terrifying, I would imagine. Mm. I, don't, I don't think I would have been on one either. All right, so a bit more serious one. What would your ideal life look like? My ideal life? Mm -hmm. uh, it's hard to get your work and life uh, balance. That's what I've always found in all my jobs. Uh, I drive my wife crazy because I'll do, I always say, I just want to do things for a short period. So I always change careers all the time. Because I say, I last thing I want to do is get to that old people's home with just the one story about the one career. No one will want to sit next to me. <laughs> so you're, you're working towards the old people's home. Well, just quickly tell me, what did you do before you had Toowoomba sightseeing? Um, well, I had a, a grazing property. And, uh, On but, the Darling Downs? Yes, I had, I had a small property out here at Wellcamp just a little loosened farm and a sheep stud. And I also uh, did uh, fencing for people. I had a little fencing team when I lived at Chinchilla, and, but mainly we fenced out west. And, uh, and then when I moved in here and I sold the fencing business, I got into real estate um, and I did real estate here. That's where most people know my name from. You can see them kind of got one eye closed and they're thinking, I know your name from somewhere. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and then they say, you sold my mother's house, you know. Right. Yeah, right. So that's, um, I won't say that you've got the gift of the gab because that might be a sound um, pejorative, but um, you obviously enjoy people and you enjoy talking to people. Oh, I love, yeah. I love telling the stories. Yeah. yeah. I'm a bit of a storyteller, I guess. Yeah. And that's what I love. I love, I think people like to hear it. They often get off saying, oh, we, it, is that two hours? We could have stayed on for another two. Yeah. We just love listening to you tell the stories. Exactly. Well, everyone loves The best thing that ever happened to me, uh, I um, did some uh, little tours for one of our aged cares. And I had this little lady. I used to help her up on the bus all the time. And uh, one day she said to me, I just love coming with you. And she said, you know, I can't see at all. I'm totally blind. And she used to come on my sightseeing tours just to hear the stories. Oh, that is a very heartwarming story. Yeah. yeah. They're the kind of things that you like. Yeah. So do you think this will be a short career or...? Yeah, I'll probably oh, hang in doing it while ever I enjoy it. <laughs> so that when you're in the aged care place you can tell people that you did, <laughs> you did it. Just quickly tell me, why did you want the bus to look like a tram? Oh, I, I just kind of wanted that heritage look. Um, it was a big thing. It was just a little white school bus that had ran down at Bow Desert, taking kids, you know, around. Um, but I earlier wanted uh, a replica tram that was for sale in Western Australia that did tours over there. And um, yeah, I had big meetings with Queensland Transport and the compliance guys, and they just couldn't really nut it out. But in the end, they said, 
I could uh, really only do it for two years if I'd bought that. So it's, you know. So it was a tram or it was a bus that looked like a tram? Yeah, that one was a little <laughs> bus that looked like a, well, it was a bus frame with a wooden top. And other states, they used them, but Queensland were very reluctant. Right. So I thought, right, I'll do the next best thing. I'll get a modern bus and make it look old. Mm, so I think it looks wonderful. It's it all really vinyl wrapped. Right, yeah. yeah. No, it looks, it looks stunning. And it's got all low back seats. Um, it took me ages to find a bus with low back seats. So people can sit up with their elbow up on the back of the seat, talk to all the other tourists. And I find that's a great thing. You know, they all, where are you going to and where you've come from? And I'm with you, yeah. So it encourages people to mm. talk to each other. And they can do a big 360 view. Like with most buses, you can only either look left or right. You can't hardly even look forward. But, uh, so they're not very good for sightseeing. You can see out of all of the windows, yeah. isn't that smart? You are a very smart man, Boothie. Yeah. All right, are you a royal fan? Do you know much about the royals? Do you I, have a favourite royal? Well, I do, uh, I do follow a lot of the royal family. I reckon they're important, you know, and I've really taken a note that the Americans, after that big blue they had a couple of hundred years ago with the English, are now taking the royal family again under their wing. But I love it when the poms come on the bus. I always say to them, you know, that's disgraceful. You've you got Henry VIII, such a well-known fellow, and he's not even buried properly. He's just stuck in a crypt with one of his wives. Um, he left a whole heap of money to be buried properly. He left money for pilgrims, um, so they would be given money to come and visit him. And uh, because he wasn't very well liked by his family, they didn't do anything about it. Right. So Henry VIII we're going for. Henry VIII. Right. Right. Henry VIII. We'll take that. I've never had a Henry VIII before. Well, it's, it's not because he had all those wives, but, you know, I could really only handle one. <laughs> and you didn't meet her on a blind date. No. All right. Now, dancing. You're a dancing man. What's the song that can't keep you off the dance floor? I'm, I'm not a dancing man, but uh, I just, I probably think it'd be... If I could be, I'd like that staying alive, you know, the <laughs> yeah. Bee Gees. Great. I could just see me kind of sliding backwards like a real speedy moonwalk. <laughs> I love it. Staying Alive by the Bee Gees yeah. is a song that can't keep Boothie off the dance floor. Yeah. Boothie, it's been a great honour to have you on Big Little Small Talk today and hear your stories and I thank you very much for giving us your time. Thank you for having me. Great. That's it for this week. Thanks for joining me on Big Little Small Talk. I hope you can make the time to join me next week. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on your favourite podcast app.